Hi, my name is Andrew Ledbetter, and I'm a member here at First Baptist Church of Keller, and I've also taught in our Sunday school ministry for adults here. And uh, today we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, specifically, primarily at chapter 37. And we're going to look at some lessons from the life of Hezekiah and the nation of Judah that I think have a lot of relevance, relevance for what is going on in our own day and time right here, right now. So uh, as we come to this text, I want to first uh, spend our time looking at uh, some lessons in this text, and then at the end, I'll try to apply that to our lives here today. But let me go ahead and open us in prayer as we come to God's Word. Father, I thank you for this time to look into your Word. I pray you guide my words, pray you guide the ears and hearts of those who are listening, and we pray that in all this, your name would be glorified by sanctifying us through your Word. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to this portion of the text, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered by the Assyrians, and Hezekiah now faces a difficult threat from the nation of Assyria. He is inheriting the challenges of generations that have come before him, and that is really my first point here, is that any generation inherits the choices, both good and bad, of those who have come before, and likewise our choices affect those who will come in the future. So you might think about your family uh, and think about legacies that are good, legacies that are bad. Uh, As I was thinking about this, I thought about a story that I think of sometimes when I'm driving up in Denton. I think of my grandmother who grew up in Breckenridge, Texas, just west of the Metroplex. And uh, her father, my great-grandfather, worked in the oil industry. He died from an oil accident and left her some money that enabled her to become the first person in the family to go to college. But her family was a bit squeamish about sending her off on to college on her own. So they enrolled her at what is today Texas Women's University because that was an all-female school and they thought that that would be a safer place for her. So they went and they dropped her off. But my grandmother, being the spunky woman that she was, uh, decided that she did not want to be at an all-female school. So she took herself and went across town to what is today the University of North Texas and enrolled there so she could be in a co-educational environment. Well, it just so happened this was in the fall of 1941, and if you know your history, that is right before World War II, uh, the U.S. entered World War II, uh, with the uh, December 7th, 1941 Pearl Harbor attack. So at that point, the men enrolled in the war, and it basically became a de facto all-women's university anyway. Well, my grandmother eventually transferred to the University of Texas, and as she was studying business, she also decided to take some time learning about these new devices called computers. I think it's pretty cool. My grandmother was working in, on computers back in the 40s, and she was training business people in the computers they had at the time after college. And that led to a family legacy of working in the computer industry. My dad made his career at IBM. Uh, my brother works in computers, and I'm a professor who looks at how people use computers in their interpersonal relationships in my work at TCU. So I'm glad my grandmother studied that. I think it's led to a positive family legacy. Uh, But there are obviously family legacies that are less positive. You may have that in your family. Uh, Certainly Hezekiah did. His father Ahaz, if we look at Isaiah 7 and we look at other evidence in in Scripture, uh, in 2 Kings, for example, we know that Ahaz was not a good king. He was a wicked man. He was very much focused on his own political ambition. He was a very worldly politician, and he was interested in using whatever he had at his disposal, including religion, to maintain his political power. We're told that he engaged in child sacrifice and he put up a pagan altar in the temple. He was a bad king. He was a wicked man. And back in Isaiah 7, if we go back 30 chapters before the text we're looking at today, we see that he faced a choice. 
he was being threatened by a kingdom called Aram. And through Isaiah, the Lord told him, hey, don't worry about that. You're going to be okay. And in fact, the Lord asked Ahaz to ask for a sign of, of, from the Lord, and Ahaz refused to do that. He didn't want to hear from the Lord. He wanted to just do whatever it was that he wanted to do. And specifically what he wanted to do to protect himself from Assyria, or sorry, to protect himself from Aram, rather than trusting in the Lord, he wanted to trust in the military might of Assyria. Now, Assyria was kind of like the, uh, the bully in this area of the world, powerful and mighty, but also very much about uh, conquering and holding other nations around them under their thumb. And uh, he turned to Assyria for help. And as is often the case, when you turn to the bully for help, don't be surprised when the bully turns around to bully you. And that is indeed what happened. Uh, Judah was under the, the power, the influence of Assyria until Hezekiah, when he took the reins of leadership in Judah, rebelled. Okay, so we see here that Hezekiah is reaping all these consequences of these choices that he didn't make, but his wicked father made. And now he is facing the same sort of situation, a similar sort of choice. He is now being threatened by Assyria. So what is he going to do? Is he going to trust in the Lord or is he not? So that's the first choice, the first point I'd like us to see here, that the choices of one generation influence those generations that come in the future. So the second point is how we should approach difficult decisions in prayer. And we see uh, Hezekiah do that here in this passage. Okay, so what was the threat here he was facing? Well, I want to back up a little bit before chapter 37 and look at the threat that we see here in chapter 36. So Assyria was led by a king named Sennacherib, and Sennacherib sent someone called the Rabshakeh to go to Jerusalem, to go to Judah. Now, the Rabshakeh, to me, sounds like the name of somebody from a science fiction movie, maybe a bad guy, but what the Rabshakeh actually was uh, in this time was a high-ranking Assyrian military officer. So what the Rabshakeh decided to do uh, before he went to invade Jerusalem, he wanted to engage in a bit of psychological warfare. He wanted to rattle uh, Judah mentally and emotionally. And so what he did is he came to Jerusalem and he began speaking these very threatening and blasphemous things in the Hebrew language. Um, They asked him not to do that, asked him to speak in another language, but instead he spoke in Hebrew purposefully so he could engage in this psychological warfare. We can get a taste of this if we look back in chapter 36 at verses 18 through 20. Uh, The Rabshakeh says, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So do you see the theological error here? I mean, he's being a threatening and and blustering military commander, but what he's doing is he is saying, hey, the Lord is equivalent to all these other gods of all these other kingdoms that that, that Assyria destroyed. And of course, that is not the case. The Lord is unique. These other gods are not gods. They are not real. But the Lord is the one God, the only God, the creator who has made heaven and earth. So this is the kind of threat that uh, the nation of Judah was hearing. And uh, as we move down into chapter 37, Hezekiah has received a message from Assyria that contains the same sort of mocking. And what he does is he comes and he brings that before the Lord in prayer. So let's go now down to Isaiah 37, starting in verse 14. 
the Lord says in his word, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord." This is a good prayer. This is a great example for us, I think, as Christians who are praying about events in our lives and events in the world today. Uh, I just love the picture here of Hezekiah that we see in verse 14. He's received this letter, and he is bringing it into the house of the Lord, and he is spreading it before the Lord. So he acknowledges the threat that he faces. He acknowledges the reality of current events. But that is submissive to the Lord and his glory and his sovereignty. So in other words, he's not just going into some kind of kind of mental monastery where he's ignoring what's going on around him. Uh, He's also not becoming fixated on current events and losing sight of who the Lord is. No, he is beholding the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, and he is submitting those threats, those challenges, those current events to God and asking for the Lord to work for his glory. And that is key. That is key, okay? He is asking for physical deliverance, for military deliverance. He certainly is addressing this need that they're they're facing, that Judah is facing. But he is doing this, asking that the Lord will work to exalt his name. So note, for instance, how he, in his prayer, directly counters the theological error that that Rabshakeh and Sennacherib and Assyria is making. Uh, I love how, how he prays here with a definite article. If you look at verse 16, you are the God. It's not that you are a God. You are the God. You are the only one. And then he says for emphasis, you alone, you're the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So he exalts God in worship and in prayer and in humility as the one God, the only God. He is unique. He is special. He is different than all other gods that people claim to worship. He is different than all other being in creation because every other being is created by God. Only God alone is the creator out of nothing. Okay, so this directly counters the theological error that the Rabshakeh is promoting. He recognizes the truth that these other gods were destroyed because they were not gods. And therefore, he asked for deliverance. Why? So that they can be comfortable and safe? Well, I'm sure that that was something he desired, but that is not the primary impetus of his prayer. He says, if you look at verse 20, now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand. Why? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So he is asking for God's name to be glorified. That is his primary concern. He's asking for deliverance, but the glory of God is paramount in Hezekiah's thoughts as he comes before the Lord in prayer. I'll talk about how we might apply this to our own lives here in a moment, but I think it is very helpful and instructive for us to, to, to observe Hezekiah's attitude and the content of his, this prayer as he submits the events of the day before the Lord. And in fact, I'm sure you can think about already now how we can apply that in our lives today in a world where the headlines are rather disturbing here in the year 2020 in many cases. 
Okay, so let's see what happens then. So how does the Lord respond to Hezekiah's prayer? Well, he sends Isaiah with a message, uh, and in this message, he communicates it in the form of, of a poem. And I'd like to jump into that poem looking at verse 26. So we're still in chapter 37, looking at verse 26. And I just love what the Lord says here about his own sovereignty and his own control of the events that they're facing. Uh, he writes, referring to Assyria. So he's talking here about Assyria, talking about Sennacherib, king of Assyria. The Lord says through Isaiah, Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I plan from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I love this because Assyria was very much all about their own power. They thought their power, their military might was great. Look at all the great things they had done, all the nations they have conquered. But the Lord says, no, you are not the one that did that. I determined it long ago. I planned it from days of old. The only reason that Assyria has conquered anything is because the Lord has allowed it to happen. It reminds me about what our pastor, Brother Keith, often says that there is nothing that happens in the world that the Lord does not either cause or allow. And that truth is communicated so clearly uh, regarding the nation of Assyria in these verses. So moving on at verse 28, I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. So the Lord, again, reaffirms his sovereignty. He has enabled Assyria to conquer. And by the way, the northern kingdom of Israel was one of those nations that Assyria had conquered. The Lord executed his judgment on the northern kingdom for their rejection of the Lord and their idolatry uh, by using Assyria to conquer them. So even though Assyria thought, I'm sure, that that showed their superiority over Israel, that was in reality God using Assyria for his own purposes. And likewise now, he is going to lead uh, Sennacherib and Assyria away from Judah, and he is going to rescue them. So the next few verses talk about the restoration of economic and agricultural prosperity. So we'll pick this up at verse 33. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch his god, Adrambalek and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon his son reigned in his place. So my first point was that um, generations have to deal with the consequences, both good and bad, of the choices of prior generations. Uh, Second, we see here an example of prayer of Hezekiah submitting current events to the sovereignty of the Lord. And here we see the Lord, we learn something about him. We see him acting for his own people, for his glory, and for his purposes. He is saving his people, and it is for his own glory and for his purposes. So 
We see God's sovereignty here. He's not even going to allow Assyria to get near. It's not that they're going to be defeated in battle. It's not that God isn't certain how this is going to turn out. No, the Lord is certain that he will not allow Assyria to even come within the range of shooting an arrow at Jerusalem. And then the Lord, miraculously through an angel, kills many thousands of Assyrian soldiers. And then Sennacherib loses his life while he was worshiping his pagan god uh, at the hands of his own sons. So things clearly did not turn out well for him. His boasting, his pride, his uh, worldly reign came to an end, came to nothing. Okay, but there is a king that will reign forever, and that draws our attention to verse 35, which speaks to that. That's, I think, the most important verse in this section that I just read is verse 35, where the Lord tells us again why he's doing what he's doing. We need to always pay attention to that in Scripture when the Lord is explaining why he's doing things. And he says here that he's going to defend this city and save it to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Well, you know, many kings that came from the line of David, there were many kings, but some were faithful to the Lord, some were, would, were not, but the Lord had promised that through David, there would come a king who would reign forever. This king would be king of kings and lord of lords, and he would be an eternal king, and obviously that refers to Jesus Christ. So this story here that Hezekiah is facing, as important as it was to them, and as important as it is as part of God's word for us, it is one chapter in the broader story that God is telling about himself. Pastor Keith often reminds us as we come to scripture, it's not a story about us, it's a story about the Lord. And in this chapter, the Lord is working through the nation of Israel, through many years, through many generations, to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ, who would die uh, for the sins of the world, and through faith in him, through faith in his death and his resurrection, we have salvation, we have forgiveness of sins as well. So understanding this reality they were facing in light of that broader story and in light of the broader story that God is telling about himself is important. And likewise, that's important for us as we think about the stories that we face in our world today. So let me talk about our world today. Uh, as I reflected on this passage and reflected on some of the points here that, that I think we can draw from this passage, I think it applies to us very much in the year 2020. So as we think about our nation, I think many of us would say we are not in very good shape. And it's not just the pandemic. Certainly, that is something we're dealing with. But our nation is not in very good shape spiritually, is it? Uh, we don't um, see the name of the Lord exalted in much of our culture, um, in much of our society. So we are reaping, in, in many ways, the bad spiritual decisions of those who have come before. I guess we could dwell on that and, and be frustrated that previous generations made the decisions they did. But I think the better thing to do is to resolve not to emulate those bad decisions, Hezekiah to me is amazing. I mean, this guy's dad engaged in child sacrifice and Hezekiah's attitude toward the Lord is, is like a 180 from that. It's totally different, amazingly different. So uh, the Lord in his power can give us the grace to make different decisions. It would be great if people look back on the year 2020 and said, yes, that was a hard year, but that was the year that led the people in the United States to repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. We can, we can make that decision, to put our faith in him, to trust in him, to turn to him, as we see Hezekiah do here. Uh, as we pray, thinking about Hezekiah's prayer, it is good to pray about the things we're facing right now, but I think there's a danger as we pray, and, and as I think about my own heart, I know I'd love for things to get back to normal, normal being what we had in 2019 and before. That may or may not be God's will. So as we pray, I think rather than praying that things get back to normal, certainly we can can express to God the desires of our heart, but 
like Hezekiah submitting that letter before the Lord, we also need to submit our concerns and our desires and the events we face before the Lord. And instead of asking for things getting back to normal, it's much better to ask that God will be glorified and his truth will be proclaimed in the world, that he will accomplish his purposes through the circumstances that we're facing. Uh, This is a time that loosens our attachment to the things of the world, I think, and asking for the Lord to move through that is a good thing to pray. As we look at political turmoil around us, are we more concerned that things will turn out the way that we want them to, or are we concerned that the name of the Lord will be exalted above all the idols of this world, no matter who's in charge in Austin or in Washington? Uh, We should submit these things in prayer to the Lord, but do so thinking about how Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. It's about God's will and purposes, not our own. And then as we think about our situation, understanding it in light of the broader story that God is telling. Uh, Hezekiah lived before the Lord's first coming. We now await the Lord's second coming. And in that time, we know what our mission is. We've been told that in Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples of all nations. We're to be proclaiming the gospel to others. So let us be about that business, whether circumstances are difficult or whether circumstances are easy. So I think these verses, even though they're about people that lived long ago, in a time and a culture that's very different than our own, I think these verses are very applicable to us as we face challenges here in 21st century America. So let me go ahead and close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for these words that are written down as an example for us. I thank you for Hezekiah's faith and how he trusted you in a very difficult situation. And I pray likewise as we face many difficulties and challenges in our own lives here in the year 2020, I pray that you would give us grace to to make good decisions, to not necessarily emulate the ways of the past, but instead choose to put our faith and trust in you, even though prior generations perhaps have not. I pray that we would, as we pray, and we should pray for things going on around us, I pray that our prayers would be in submission to your will, recognizing your glory and your sovereignty over all things. And I pray that we would be about your business that you have told us to do here as we await your second coming. Lord, I pray that in this time that you would use the church in our country to proclaim your truth, and I pray that we would see many that would come to put their faith in Jesus here in these difficult times. We love you so much, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.